everyone. Welcome to News and Brew Sports Biz, our podcast series that advocates for the financial voices in college athletics and features new developments impacting the business of college sports. I'm Katie Davis, leader of the James Moore Collegiate Athletics team, and I'm joined by my partner, Ken Kurzel. And we are very excited uh, that we are no longer on video and we are just sitting together enjoying a brew. And today we're going to be talking about the top five hot topics that we've seen over the last several months and what we see coming ahead for fall of 2021. Hey, Ken. Hey, Katie. Um, I likewise am excited to not be on video for the first time. So we could just be having a, our normal natural conversation over a beer about what's happening in the world of college sports. And um, well, first things first, um, what beer are you enjoying, Katie? Um, so I am enjoying uh, a beer that we picked up last week when we were in Raleigh, North Carolina, um, from one of your favorite breweries, Burial Brewing. And I have one called um, a guillotine of contemplation. They're kind of, not going to lie, it's kind of weird uh, name for a beer, um, but it is a double pineapple IPA, um, and it's really good. I, you know, we feature IPAs on here a lot, and get some criticism for that maybe because people don't understand. But if you had good IPA from a brewery like Burial, I think you would understand more why we like it so much. Um, so had it before, enjoying it again. Glad we brought some home with us. Um, so which one are you having? Well, likewise, um, as Katie said, Burial's possibly my favorite brewery in the country. They're based out of Asheville, North Carolina, but they had a tap room in Raleigh, which was where we were enjoyed some brews at their tap room and brought some home. Mine is called a deeper dissection of harvest. And it's a collaboration beer they did with another great brewery, Trillium out of Boston, which I've not drank at, but I know Katie's had the yes, pleasure we've of been there. going up there <laughs> when visiting a client. So I um, hope to get there someday and I'm, and I'm loving it. It's a great, great beer. So um, sets the stage for, you know, a good discussion of heading into the fall and what's going on in collegiate athletics. This is Kind of like tailgate time here right now. Let's talk sports. Yeah. So um, hot topic number one is um, shocker, uh, name, image, and likeness. So we are almost a month and a half into the NIL era. And um, it's been interesting for me to watch it unfold and see how deals are being done, what's being announced, and um, even in talking with schools about what they're seeing and where they've seen surprises. Um, so first, Ken, I'll turn it over to you on what maybe you've noticed and, and what trends you're seeing. Well, for me, I think the big thing is it is definitely, it's, it's not an understatement to call it the wild, wild west. Um, you know, it is Schools are figuring it out on their own, asking what other schools are doing. And of course, it's different from state to state. And, and then you've got um, states that don't even have their NIL legislation, but are allowed because of the NCAA allowing that to, to now try to implement it for their uh, student athletes. So it is, it's, it's truly just wild, uh, you know, given that it, that it differs so much from state to state and school to school. And um, I think the thing that I found interesting is that we haven't there have been a lot of deals, um, a lot of smaller deals, but you know we haven't seen that massive deal yet. That I think we're all just waiting to eventually come. You know, the, if if Zion Williamson was still in college, you know, the deal he would have gotten, for instance, some some be of that level. Um, maybe it'll be soon to come. Maybe it'll be soon to come with some of these Olympic athletes um, that uh, had great performances in Tokyo and now are going to be coming back and, and have the opportunity to, to really translate out that into big NIL deals. Yeah, I, well, I mean, the Olympics is a perfect example. And in a way, it's good. It was delayed a year. And 
overlapped with this so that the medalists could keep their winnings and um, then just capitalize on the momentum coming off the Olympics with any kind of deals they're going to make. So, I mean, I think that's really exciting to see. And I mean, allegedly there's a million dollar deal out there, um, but have yet to really see the details on that. Um, But, you know, what I've thought I would see a lot more of is um, some bigger splashes, um, local car dealership kind of things even, um, which we've seen a couple of those. Uh, We saw with the um, LSU quarterback got an F-250 and then unfortunately got hurt a few days later, uh, which is is really sad for him. It's going to be interesting to watch to see how deals may change in the future, knowing that that's a risk. Um, and then we also saw the, um, Oklahoma state basketball player that just transferred over from Kansas, got a Mustang. Um, I'm, I'm curious how long-term these deals are going to be. I've heard from a car, you know, from a car standpoint that sometimes it's just, you know, a loaner for the, the season, which is only, you know, a few months. Um, but I've also heard some schools talk about the potential for long-term multi-year deals. Um, where they would have the car for a while and and that potentially being a concern, um, any kind of long-term deal more than a year being a concern for an athlete who, um, you know, may want to transfer later and feel like they can't because they're stuck in this deal with a local business. So um, I think all of those things will be interesting to watch. Um, and then, of course, you know, you have the athletes with agents that, you know, are securing really nice vehicles for their athletes. Um, but that's, you know, I think more of the the exception and not the rule. Um, you know, I think some unique groups have been Dreamfield um, and seeing what the, the Florida State and Miami guys have put together and the momentum they're getting with just trying a lot of new things. I'm curious who's behind the curtain helping with a lot of that um, from, you know, getting deals with professional teams, putting out NFTs, um, but bringing in athletes from all over into their uh, network. So that's been really cool to see as well. And then of course I hear about, you know, the small sponsorships or athletes that just want to have their own business on the side with, you know, an Etsy shop selling some kind of homemade item. Um, So, so it's been, been pretty cool. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see when uh, the financial literacy side starts to kick in for them and they realize, um, you know, what they don't know and what, how they need to get organized. And of course we preach this all the time with, you know, taxes and, and all of that, but um, you know, it's more than just taxes, but just general basics of financial um, adulting life that they're going to have to, um, figure out which everyone figures out. It's just a matter of now's the time they need to start paying attention to that. Well, and it might certainly be worth going back and listening to that episode that you mentioned that we had where we had our state and local tax director on to talk about the impacts of taxes on NIL. That's one of the big things that we're preaching with all of our clients, um, kind of in, in really shouting it from the rooftops is, hey, you know, making sure that the tax education piece is there for the student athletes to protect them. So, um, we're big advocates for that and had a whole episode on that and, you know, happy to talk to people 
um, anywhere uh, about that topic. So, um, you know, NIL certainly is a huge thing. Uh, we saw it coming for a, a good long while. Another item that, um, that really has come up, but really blasted out. I mean, people knew it was there, but then of course it just um, weren't quite as prepared for it necessarily, or as um, prepared for what was going to happen with the Supreme Court. But the Alston case certainly um, is another huge huge thing that's happened this summer. Um, I think we've already mentioned before just how amazing it is to, to ever have a case where it's a 9-0 vote on the Supreme Court in one direction. Uh, so that was pretty amazing. Um, and But Alston certainly is going to have a big impact, probably a bigger impact from what we're talking to in our schools, really at the, at the athletic department educational level, uh, since NIL is really outside of the universities, them, the student athletes striking their deals uh, with companies and others outside of the university, Alston though takes it right in-house and impacts the budget much more. So what are you seeing on Alston and how do you think that's going to impact um, the industry, Katie? Well, I mean, I think it's definitely pushing things in the direction of giving student athletes more rights um, and the ability to, um, you know, get what they feel is their fair share. And certainly I think Long term, my hope is that the combination of NIL and Alston and whatever else is going to come up, maybe that'll have some market impacts where we might start to see that certain other expenses like um, salaries uh, for certain individuals within your athletic department that have been skyrocketing, hopefully might start to see that level off a little um, over the long term, only because I think that, um, you know, the money's got to come from somewhere. And while there's been comments about oh, the locker room dynamics with NIL, I think eventually there's going to be locker room dynamics of the team versus the coaches um, when it's a, the team that's working really hard as well. So again, that's a lot of speculation long term and, you know, but I think in the short term, Schools are trying to figure out what does this mean because the Supreme Court came out with their decision, but the NCAA hasn't really put any guidelines now that they have to allow for this. Um, so, so what we do know is that uh, schools are now able to provide other education-related benefits in addition to the grants and aid for tuition, fees, and room and board, and and cost of attendance type items. Um, but now it's it's the additional type expenses and, and schools are really talking about what are we providing? How are we providing it? Who are we providing it to? And I think running various scenarios um, based on which, which athletes, you know, is it only certain athletes? Is it scholarship athletes? Is it all athletes? And, and I think in general leaning toward covering as many athletes as possible just because of Title IX issues. Um, and, and then, of course, waiting to see what comes out from the NCAA. But, um, you know, as they're budgeting these things, I'm seeing, you know, anywhere from six to seven figures impacts to their budgets. I've heard uh, one <clears throat> school say up to $5 million potentially um, that, of course, they don't have built into their budget and they're going to have to find room for that. And, um, and so that's, you know, something that I think is a really a short term, you know, right now is on everyone's minds is how can we come out of a pandemic 
and um, knowing there's still uncertainty that the pandemic's not over and then add in this additional large expense. How are we going to, how are we going to make it work? What needs to give or where do we need to go to get additional resources to be able to cover this? And so some schools have talked about trying to work out things with campus where they're um, essentially subsidizing campus some and maybe they're subsidizing a little bit less. Um, others have talked about going to foundation or um, doing some additional type revenue generating activities that go towards scholarship funds. Um, but I think um, another question is what is it that athletes are providing or, or what is it the athletes are receiving from the school? Is it similar to cost of attendance and that it's just a cash payout? Um, or is it that maybe athletes are given various items like laptops, iPads, um, those types of things. And, and it, it's interesting, one school I talked to said that, um, you know, even small electronics have to be inventoried. So hmm. thinking about inventorying um, 400 iPads is kind of a nightmare. So in those cases, it might, you know, be a lot better to say, here's, here's some cash. Um, this is, we expect you to use this for these types of items, um, similar to how, how cost of attendance is handled currently. Um, but can, you know, some other questions we've gotten is related to what does this mean from a taxability standpoint mm -hmm. for student athletes? So what have you um, seen in that area? No, that's a great, great point and great segue too, because it, um, this, like NIL, um, is impacting student athletes from a tax standpoint, because uh, from a taxability standpoint, um, it's fairly narrow what portion of your scholarship uh, student athlete uh, is considered non-taxable and it has to be for certain qualified educational expenses. Um, and those were already covered in the scholarships they were getting before. So now when we're going over and above um, to these items that are not just considered the base necessary qualified educational expenses like tuition and fees and things of that nature, uh, it does create taxable activity. And in many times in the past, if, if there was just a little bit of taxable activity from a scholarship, um, but you didn't really have any other earnings, your standard deduction and other things kind of wipes things out and no need to, no true tax impact. But now when you combine the inclusion of additional dollars um, that are gonna be coming out as they have these additional enhanced educational benefits that are the schools are gonna be able to pay for, along with maybe an NIL deal. Um, now, now the student athletes are, are looking at situations where there is gonna be, um, they probably are gonna have a net taxable effect because uh, of the combination of NIL plus this. It's basically, if both of those items are adding taxable income that wasn't there before um, to their scenarios. So it's just one more item that they um, that they have to deal with. And, um, you know, again, it's just probably gonna point out the need for um, student athletes who have these situations are probably gonna need to seek out some level of um, help on it. Um, sometimes there's free help in the forms of uh, the United Ways across the country always run the, the VITA program, Voluntary Income Tax Assistance Program. Um, that's available to, um, you know, quite a few, it's a, it's a pretty broad range of people that can uh, qualify for that to get information on how to prepare tax work. But with more complex deals, um, if you have 
complex NIL deals, uh, along with um, these cost of attendance amounts and so forth, um, yeah, you're, you're probably going to want to seek out some professional counsel to make sure that you're covered and taken care of. But yes, it's one more, one more taxable item. Yeah. And I mean, I think from the athletic department standpoint as well, how are we supposed to report that? And I would just say, do what you're already doing and reporting to uh, your the university as far as how they're releasing all of those uh, tax forms to all of their students already. Um, and knowing that there are other students on campus that are receiving additional educational benefits, other, you know, like fellowships and, and things like that, and maybe looking to what campus is already doing in those areas and trying to um, do something similar, even if the definitions of fellowship versus other education benefits from an athletics perspective might look a little bit different. But, um, you know, there are tax-free portions of scholarships and taxable portions of scholarships. And, um, you know, the IRS has some guidance on that as far as, um, you know, what is tax-free as a qualified education expense um, versus um, what's taxable. So like tax-free is the tuition and fees and, um, you know, certain course-related expenses like books and supplies and um, those kinds of things. And so, you know, it could be that, you know, something like a laptop could be tax-free um, or perhaps it's not if it's not something that's needed for their course. Um, so, you know, that if it's just, you know, that's kind of a gray area. So that's where I would recommend looking to campus to see, um, you know, what what they generally treat those items as. And then, of course, um, you know, there are some taxable portions of scholarship. Um, room and board is taxable, travel, research, um, other equipment that aren't required for enrollment or attendance at the institution. So, um, you know, working with them, you know, I think you just report what you're providing and hopefully they can, um, you know, assess how that's reported to the IRS and to the student um, at the end of the year. Yeah, definitely a lot going on <laughs> in that area. And then um, our next topic is one that, um, gosh, I don't know, maybe a month ago, definitely wouldn't have even been on our radar to put on this list, probably. Uh, it seems like it came out of nowhere and happened uh, with amazing time. And that's just the conference realignment discussions. It feels like, uh, I don't know, I remember it the, the last time the SEC expanded, uh, you know, adding Missouri and Texas A&M and, you know, just all of the musical chairs that happened then and everybody thinking, oh, gosh, this is it. This is the final realignment. Um, and then sure enough, within a decade, uh, we're here again, where uh, realignment is a big, big topic. So um, what are some of your thoughts there, Katie? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really fully understand the short term, um, you know, thoughts on some of this, but I think from a long term view of it, it could be kind of what's the next step um, beyond the NCAA, perhaps. Um, because we've heard a lot of conversations with CFOs, especially within Power Five and some of the group of five schools that just wanted to completely, you know, if they had got their wishes, they could revamp the entire NCAA model. Um, and so in some cases, I think they were starting to realize this, this isn't going to be easy to get the NCAA to change some things. So how can we drive some change? Um, 
and and I think you know in some ways I think Sankey is um, kind of thinking ahead about that and and perhaps um, you know that's this is a long game and you know however you want to call it if you want to call it a mega conference or maybe it becomes an entirely new um, you know realm of you know another like almost semi-pro uh athletic uh type um organization but i i am a little bit concerned um of course because there are always unintended consequences or maybe they are intended by some people but there is a negative impact on so many as um things shift around and um you know one thing that to me is interesting is the Knight Commission's report that they put out, I don't know, maybe a year ago, um, about the college football playoffs needing its own governance and basically pulling out any football-related revenue distribution out of the NCAA and having that come through the CFP instead. And, um, you know, at first I thought it was a little ridiculous, but now I can see where that could be helpful. And, and, you know, I think in some ways, some of those smaller group of five schools that are kind of stuck um, maybe could benefit more. Um, I mean, of course, the, the TV dollars are, are the biggest things at Jeopardy, I think, with conference realignment. And that's what's got the Big 12 worried um, is just knowing that, that that big revenue stream is going to be impacted um, by these schools leaving. Um, but I don't know, Ken, what your thoughts are there. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's interesting because this is this goes in the area of, you know, where we step out as professionals that work in this space. You know, we spend a lot of time thinking about the business side of it, but then also stepping back. Of course, we're fans as well. And as a fan, I think everybody, you know, and what I'm hearing from most fans is that there's a certain amount of sadness that goes on uh, through this because of the fact that, um, you know, there's going to be certain traditional rivalries that are lost as you have realignment. Um, we have uh, clients in conferences here that are, you know, big 12 clients that will be impacted by this that we certainly worry for and um, know that they worry over, you know, what their future looks like um, in this. And, and again, many schools just kind of wondering, okay, where does this leave me um, in two years four years, six years down the road as we go through here. It's it's very unsettling. Um, you know, hopefully it'll all settle out well in a way that, you know, protects the student athletes, that protects the non-revenue sports, the Olympic sports. You know, it was interesting seeing that, you know, what kind of threat does this offer, you know, if everything gets just focused on football and the dollars there, what kind of threat does it offer to like even our U.S. Olympic pipeline, um, you know, with the number of student athletes that benefit from, football revenues that are um, really helping those large athletic departments that also have excellent Olympic programs. And hopefully my hope as a fan um, certainly is that that continues, uh, that, we, that we still see um, strong investment in Olympic sports, strong investment in uh, women's sports, um, that the, the best of what we have is still there. But um, it's, it, I will admit, it's just a little unsettling, uh, all the shifting and all the unknowns that this is bringing. Yeah, well, it's a chicken and egg thing, because I think, um, you know, they say, oh, well, we need to beef up our football programs to be able to fund the rest of our programs and our Olympic sports. But then it's also like, well, if everything's so focused on football, where does, where does everything else shake out? And so, 
my thought is once the schools kind of figure out where their home is, is look at what, what each league's value proposition is. And I mean, I think in some ways, you know, there's, I think some leagues are at an advantage as they kind of already know their identity. Like I would say the ACC probably, especially because there are so many, um, uh, you know, that they've got so many institutions that rank really high academically. They have really great um, basketball programs. And, um, you know, so, I mean, I, I know that alone probably won't help them to be as competitive against, um, you know, a mega SEC, but, uh, you know, figuring out what, what they want, what they value and what they can bring to the networks that might be a little bit different. Um, whether it's their fan base worldwide or the fact that they might have more robust Olympic programs. And as those um, get more attention um, and more eyes on TVs or computers with streaming and, and what that could look like. So I think there's opportunity for that. Um, but I would be careful in, in some realignment of where there's talk of, oh, well, um, you know, the big 12 and the Pac-12 could someone called it the pig 20 or something. <laughs> and, and I mean, I think, you know, schools have to think about travel costs oh, and yes. we are, have already seen it before realignment. Um, and that, you know, if you're in a geographic outlier from the rest of your competition, the, the, just the travel costs are so significant and not only that, but it's a burden on the student athletes and, and kind of impacts the student athlete experience as well. So my hope is that they don't do a merger of the big 12 and the pac 12 at least as they are right now because you know if you look at the schools in california compared to you know like big 12 has west virginia you know east i think that's just going to be an incredible logistical challenge financial challenge and and all of that yeah and there's some great points and i think schools can hopefully take solace from the idea of understanding their identity well and, and really owning that there was a good article i read the other day and I believe it was in The Athletic, um, and it was about Gonzaga, and it was about how Gonzaga has really, there is no football, of course, yet they've developed themselves as a national power in basketball um, and really have embraced that and how that's impacting their overall program. I mean, it was an excellent example of a school understanding their identity and then just kind of maximizing that. And I think you can look at other ones, you know, like a Duke would be a good example of something similar also, even though they do play in a conference that has good football, but um, there are, there are other avenues other than just through football um, mm -hmm. to have successful programs. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, you saw that with UConn too, um, going independent in football and, and going from the American to the big East. And then, of course, you know, speaking of the American, I mean, I think they've got a lot to bring and that they, um, you know, some of a lot of their institutions are very large from a, um, you know, student body perspective and bring in, um, you know, students from all over the place. So their alumni base is huge. So when you're looking at the conversion of TV to streaming and you have an alumni base that's not just focused in one geographic market, I think there's an advantage to that too. So, I mean, I think, you know, there's talk about American schools and, oh, are they going to pick UCF or Houston or some like someone like that to move up to a power five? I mean, I think some of the question is how can the American make themselves powerful without that? Um, so that'll be interesting to see too. Yeah. 
Well, our next topic is one that we absolutely hate having on here. And we thought we were uh, looking at it in the rear view mirror just a couple of months ago, but is COVID uh, and the vaccines and Delta and its impact. And uh, it's one of those things that as we go around and spend time talking to our clients, um, it certainly is not um, as dire as things were this time last year, but there's definitely like a little bit of PTSD and a little bit of nightmares coming of my gosh, what does the Delta variant have have for us? How's that going to impact the fall sports? Um, and again, a lot of talk about vaccines and things like that. So um, some thoughts on that, Katie. I mean, yeah, I'm so sick of talking about COVID. Um, but I think, you know, what's different this year is last year, whether the public knew it or not, schools were budgeting for less than 100% capacity even before they were making official announcements. And they were budgeting for conference-only games. And and those types of things. So they were kind of preparing in the backs of their minds. And this time, you know, schools are pretty much budgeting for 100% and no one's come out yet to say, okay, we're gonna delay the start of season or we're going to reduce capacity or we're going to change scheduling. I mean, it, no one's coming out and saying that. And, and I don't foresee someone coming out and saying that, especially at a league wide, I mean, the SEC, for example, came out and said, you know, we can't really come up with one conference-wide uh, policy because state policies are so different. And what's coming down from, you know, governor's offices of, as far as what expectations are for the public to get back to normal. And if you're a state institution, it's really challenging to go against that, um, even if you think it's for, for the betterment of society and your fans and your student athletes. And so, um, you know, from an athlete perspective, the, the, the focus has been on getting vaccines and there seems to be that 85% threshold of leagues saying, okay, if you have 85% of your athletes vaccinated, you don't have to segregate in practice and mask up and do tests and, and those types of things. And so um, it's just getting athletes um, comfortable with that. And so we're seeing some schools, uh, you know, Lane Kiffin came out and said, mm -hmm. Ole Miss is hundred percent vaccinated. Yeah. Which kudos to him. Um, that was an amazing, that's great. Yeah. That's what I want to say. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, lessons <clears throat> learned in cases like NC state where unfortunately they had to forfeit the chance for the national title in the college world series. I think that was a wake up call because it was in their institution. And so from what I've heard, a lot of athletes have been vaccinating there. Um, and then I've heard some schools say, um, you know, if you can't mandate it, but if you can say, well, you're not traveling if you're not vaccinated. So that means you're not going to those away games. And, um, you know, that, that I think can hopefully be a good motivator as well. Um, and, you know, from a financial standpoint, um, you know, if, if you have to forfeit a game, you know, there's no more rescheduling games because someone tests positive, it's a forfeit. And so just what all the financial impacts are of that, um, you know, not only is it, you know, are you going to have pressure to refund the tickets, um, but, uh, you know, what does that mean, especially if it's a conference game and you're wanting to really position every team in your conference as well as possible to get the TV, you know, eyes on the TV and sustain that interest uh, for the entire season, as well as 
positioned well for college football playoff because at the end of the day, that's going to drive a lot of revenue too. Um, so, I mean, I think there's a lot to think about. I think people are worried, but from what we've seen in India and England, it seemed like there was a spike in Delta and then kind of a pretty quick drop off. And it's just a matter of time, but I mean, Florida is a hotbed right now. So the hope is it'll, it'll drop off maybe soon, um, but that just means it's going to hop to another state. So curious to see how long it's going to take for the U.S. as a whole to be in the clear from that. Yeah, and hopefully one of the silver linings of the attention that Delta's getting is, you know, all of the reports are that the vaccine distribution is going up again, that, you know, more and more people are, are choosing to get the jab, um, which is a good thing. Um, it'll be interesting. So the combination of the fear of Delta uh, leading to that, as well as like, again, an Ole Miss comes out and announces they're 100% vaccinated. I got to imagine if I'm Mississippi State, their main rival, and, you know, I don't know what percentage they're at, but... but that's going to get my attention and it's a rivalry thing. So they're going to want to <laughs> want to go ahead and be able to say the same thing. So, um, you know, a combination of um, hearing that other schools are having such success um, should help drive up things as well as just the, the fear of, of Delta. So um, my hope certainly is that we see a lot more vaccinated players, student athletes, fans, um, everyone, uh, and that this starts to recede soon. Yes, I agree. And, and you know, you also have, football season is always a question mark, especially in the Southeast with weather. And so um, it's interesting. I was having a conversation this week about, um, you know, what happens when you have a big game and there might be a risk that you're also in peak COVID season, but then there's also a hurricane coming and insurance covers hurricanes, but no longer covers pandemics. And, um, you know, I could just see with the way 2021 has been going, having some perfect storm like that. Um, so I'm going to be watching for that, too, <laughs> and see what, what happens. Um, so our fifth topic uh, really is just a hot topic for us. And we're really excited about is just being back on campuses. And it's been over a year since we've um, been on campus in person and been to see our clients and friends in the industry and and for me, it's been really exciting to just be back in that environment, um, see our friends in person, get to see athletes milling around campus. Uh, you know, when we've been there, it's been a lot of, you know, doing their headshots and hype videos and starting to see workouts and, you know, camps have started, you know, recently. And, and so that has just been a lot of fun um, and at least starts to feel like things are getting back to normal, even if there is a blip right now. Yeah, no, I agree. There's, um, it, it was hard to overstate just how awesome it felt to go back out and be in those familiar environments that we were used to with our clients and our friends in the industry and, you know, um, looking at their facilities, seeing the athletes, like you said, doing the hype videos, uh, just kind of getting ready for the season. And um, yeah, it makes you realize how much we missed last year, just how hard last year was and and just how amazing it's going to be hopefully the first time we're able to enjoy um and again here help us delta go away quickly uh, to really enjoy kind of the pre-pandemic uh big game and the all that comes along with that the tailgating the um just the social aspect um you know it's, it's clear how much it's been missed yeah and i mean i think it's just nice to have conversations that are looking forward past covid um even if we are still in it and 
being able to see, you know, how facilities upgrades have progressed and plans for uh, new upgrades and, and those kinds of things as well. Um, so I've really enjoyed it. Can't wait to be able to go visit more of you and um, also enjoy visiting local establishments, whether it's the uh, restaurant or the brewery or other places like that, because we just love to immerse ourselves into college towns and and really enjoy that experience. So with that, I think we have hit our top five hot topics and um, are hopeful that things are going to start to look up as fall progresses and know there's still a lot of hard work and sacrifices that have to be made um, in the meantime though. And so we're thinking about all of you and um, always here for you if you need anything. Um, but thank you all for tuning in and uh, we will see you next time. Cheers. Cheers. To learn more about the James Warren Company Collegiate Athletics and Higher Education segments, go to jmco.com. And don't forget to sign up for insights to get our latest industry updates, news and events delivered straight to your inbox. You can also follow us on Twitter at jmcohighered and on LinkedIn for the latest news as the landscape of collegiate athletics and higher education is continually evolving. 